I'm Brad. Welcome to Strange for History, the podcast where I talk about, you guessed it, strange history. This is an older episode, recorded and produced before the podcast started to get attention, before editing was done to episodes, before I had a good feeling for how an episode of Strange for History needed to sound, and before our rebranding to Strange for History. These old episodes are not for the faint of heart. There's a lot of stuff here that I'm really not proud of, like audio glitches, bad dialogue, poor editing, and segments that needed to be dropped, like the interviews, or like the rapid-fire history facts. While you're welcome to start and listen from here, I would recommend that you fast-forward to episode 12, Spanish Civil War, instead. Either here or there, I hope you enjoy this journey that we will take together as we explore many of the things that make us, us. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this little podcast, and even if you do not continue past here, I do so very much appreciate you and your time. Hi, I'm Brad. Welcome to Strange History, the podcast where, you guessed it, we discuss the stranger parts of history. Today, we'll be discussing a very interesting historical event from my home state of West Bygod, Virginia, and we'll start on week one of our Monster Mass October Bash, where we replace the event of the week with cool and interesting monster stories in anticipation of spooky season. The monster in question this week ties right into our actual historical event, and most of my West Virginia listeners have probably already figured out what that monster is going to be, based on just the title and the fact that it happened here in the Mountain State. So, without further delay, let's dive right on in. Episode 10, Talking Points. In 1928, an architectural marvel came to the small, quiet town of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, in the form of a massive I-bar chain suspension bridge. This design had already been in use the world over for nearly a century, with other examples being the Three Sisters Bridge in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and the Clifton Suspension Bridge in Bristol. The Silver Bridge, as it became known for its bright, silvery aluminum paint, would span the gap between Point Pleasant and Gallipus, Ohio. Unfortunately, shoddy construction and stress issues would eventually lead to a horrible, horrible accident that would claim the lives of 46 people. The architectural firm for the bridge, J.E. Griner Company, were well-known bridge builders, with a portfolio covering other works, such as the Baltimore Harbor Tunnel, the Bridge of Lions, and even the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. Another name in the construction process was the American Bridge Company, who aided in construction and brought a portfolio to rival that of J.E. Greiner. One would think that with names attached to the ABC, such as the Ads Bridge, the Empire State Building, the New River Gorge Bridge, for example, the ABC would be a force to be reckoned with, an unstoppable crew with whom there were never ever issues. Something, somewhere, somehow, would still go wrong. 
at 2,235 feet, or about half of the elevation of Denver, Colorado, or just under half a mile long, the Silver Bridge was a beautiful sight. Two support pillar, two support piers held the massive structure in place, but ultimately the Silver Bridge's life would be cut drastically short, failing and hitting water on December 15, 1967. The loss of the Silver Bridge would incur not only a massive reconstruction cost and would claim the lives of 46 people, but would draw the attention of some very interesting G-men to the area on the hunt of a monster, a demon, or the person or people responsible for the devastation in the small town. But that will, of course, be a story for another time. Backup redundancy bars for the bridge were nearly non-existent. I do say nearly, because there were backups, of course, but they were installed in a relatively weird way. Normally, many thick layers of normal-strength metal bars would be interwoven or combed together to add extra strength to the structure. Here, however, extra-strength solid steel support bars were used with no backup or redundancy. The much higher tensile strength of the steel were thought to be enough to deal with the stress of holding the bridge together and the added weight of the vehicles crossing it. In using only two steel bars, however, there was nothing to fall back on in the event of a failure. This, however, is exactly what happened. A support chain would run under the bridge, but it too would have no backup system in the event of an emergency, and any damage to the chain system, the chain itself, the towers, the links, the I-bars, would all result in a total systems failure. One link. I-bar 330, north side. Ohio line would fail. The first chain link under the Ohio Tower would have a small, almost unseeable, nigh inconceivable crack formed because of excess water pooling and degrading the link. A crack only 0.1 inch in depth hardly over a fourth of a centimeter, would eventually cause the entire system to fail, forcing the structurally sound second chain system to take over the support of the bridge in its entirety. Unfortunately, due to now doubled stress, a massive amount of overcrowding due to Christmas shop rate and operating at around half total equilibrium, the second chain would fail as well, leaving now only a small pin in place to hold the entire system at bay. It was a race against time. If it were detected, maybe it could have been prevented. If someone had been told of the issues beforehand, or if some strange paranormal phenomenon could have warned the town in the weeks, months, and days leading up to the failure, then maybe things could have been different. Maybe 46 people could have gone home. However, it was only around a minute and a half from the time the support pin finally snapped to when the bridge fell. 
eyewitnesses report the thing happening at such an alarmingly fast rate that no one would have noticed, sans the lack of a bridge to begin with. 64 lives hung in the balance and 46 would be lost, and a nation would be in fear of what would happen, of what did happen, and what was to come. President Lyndon B. Johnson would establish the Task Force for Bridge Safety, who would lead the official investigation into this event. Their ultimate strategy was grim and horrifying, and the statement was equally as horrible. There was no way to prevent this. Not now. Not with modern technology by the equivalency of 1967. All we could hope to do was watch other bridges and monitor them hoping we could catch the next one. Preventive maintenance and a better understanding of our ultimate failure with the Silver Bridge would lead to a modern code of safety for bridges, doing routine maintenance and checkups on all at-risk bridges every two years and doing it sooner on any high-risk bridge. Silver would see 4,000 crossings per day, one-fourth of the daily crossings of the New River Gorge Bridge today. Government agents would surround the town, looking for answers in any way, shape, form, or fashion. From bridge contractors doing their jobs to make a newer, safer crossing to others. Men in black pressed suits. Men in black cars with tinted out windows. With wraparound sunglasses and badges. Men in black. Citizens would report being hassled and heckled by these strangers asking them questions about what they knew or what they saw, who they saw. Some would threaten people, only for those people to simply disappear. Some would disappear entirely, simply vanishing. Of course, these men do not really exist. Shadowy, shady governmental entities would never go out of their way to prey on the confused and heartbroken citizens of such a small town. So if not from the government, and not here to help, why were they here? But what if something had warned us? Some otherworldly creature seen at this disaster, and disaster sites the world over ever since. What if he had been trying to tell us something? What if we had actually listened? The Mothman is a major part of West Virginia folklore, focused around the area of Point Pleasant mostly, but also seen throughout the United States and the wider world as a whole. The massive entity was reported by hundreds of people in the days and weeks leading up to the eventual collapse of the Silver Bridge in December of 1967. But that's not all. Sightings of the winged beast who carried with him death, despair, turn turmoil the writer of Natural Disasters and The Harbinger of Doom has been cited countless times afterwards. Twenty-ish years after the falling of the bridge, Mothban would be reported again, and in, of all places, something the exact opposite of the state of West Virginia. In 1986, on the 26th of April, workers at a massive nuclear power plant in the Soviet Union 
just outside of Pripyat, Ukraine, would report sightings of a massive flying creature around Chernobyl reactor number four. Citizens in town had also reported the creature, and it was often said that they were harassed by waking nightmares of the thing, constantly being called and harassed by government agencies. The creature was described as a monstrous black bird with piercing, evil red eyes. Soviet citizens started to call this entity the Black Bird of Chernobyl. It is this creature who matches the description of our Mothman the same entity? Or is it merely a case of fear and mistaken identity? Another incident involving the Mothman of Point Pleasant was in the days and hours leading up to one of the worst incidences in modern American history. Mothman was reported several times as being seen flying over and near the World Trade Centers in downtown New York just before the September 11 terror attacks way back in 2001. It had been 37 years since the first Mothman sightings in North America, and many individuals were alive who held the memory of those first sightings very close. Some even reported seeing the creature's face in the smoke fire, and debris. But this could be attributed to something called pareidolia, a common instance where humans find patterns, like faces, subconsciously and without reason, like when you see a cat in the clouds, or the face of a screaming woman in a coffee stain. Another more recent sighting would occur in 2009, just over the United States' southernmost border in La Junta, Mexico, Citizens started to take notice of a massively tall and hairy creature with dark wings and deep-set red eyes. It was on one occasion to have relentlessly chased and hunted a teenage boy for almost 20 minutes as he tried to flee. Days afterwards, a massive outbreak of swine flu would appear in town. And many pointed out that the existence of this creature was proof, yet again, that it was simply warning or bringing disaster. But what of the first sighting of the man who is also a moth? On November 16, 1966, the local newspaper in Point Pleasant sent out a headline entitled, Couple Sees Man-Sized Bird, Creature, Something. Eventually, other local, state, and even national papers started to circulate the story of the cryptid as well. The first sighting would happen the day before. Two couples, both young, teenagers, really, were out for a night drive along the area known as the TNT area, a former World War II munitions depot. This couple would find the creature in their headlights, a massive, ten-foot-tall creature with glowing red eyes and large wings. They would flee from fear, as we all would, but the monster simply gave chase. As they fled, their car exceeded speeds of over 100 miles per hour. But the monster stayed close to them until it eventually simply disappeared. These four teenagers, rowdy and ragged, would report the creature to the local police, but who in their right mind would listen to kids? No one, we would think. But in the following days, more sightings would come in. One would be from two local firefighters, 
well-known local heroes with nothing to gain from their report. They stated that they encountered the creature as well, quoting it as a large bird with glowing red eyes. Newell Partridge, local building contractor, also saw the thing. He pointed a light at it and reported that its eyes glowed like bicycle reflectors, and reported strange humming sounds from his television and the disappearance of his pet German Shepherd, all in the Mothman as well. Hundreds of people. Hundreds of places. Hundreds of sightings. Can this harbinger of doom really be a demonic force of hopelessness and depravity? Could it simply be mistaken identity? A sandhill crane, maybe. A bird the size of a human, with nearly a seven-foot wingspan. One had actually been sighted in the area around Point Pleasant. Migratory birds, and one that maybe simply had gotten itself lost. It was the answer that few accepted, but it was the only one really provided. So, what do you think? Was the monster that predicted the fall of the Silver Bridge, that warned plant workers of the massive meltdown of Reactor 4, or the 9-11 terror attacks actually real? Or is it just another part of our strange history? Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Strange for History. I hope you enjoyed learning about today's subject, and it was a lot of fun having you with Brad. Not me. (laughs) You'll have me if you start on episode 12. You can find this podcast on many different places, such as Facebook and Twitter. That's at Strange, the number four history, and on all major streaming sites as well, such as Google, Amazon, Spotify, Apple, um, even Good Pods, those indie ones, or really wherever your ears are listening. We at Strange for History appreciate your companionship and hope you continue to enjoy learning about those strange, weird things that make us, us.